Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, we welcome you in as well. Now, when I was in the fifth grade, uh, a common thing for us to do was to go to the movies. I grew up in a small town, uh, kind of like Sonic movie theater. I mean, it's kind of it, but a uh, good place to grow up. But uh, we would grow up and we would go to the movie theater a lot on the weekends. And what we would have to do uh, to find out what movie we wanted to see was we didn't get on the, our phones, uh, we didn't get on the computer. What we often did was you either called the movie theater on an actual phone, landline, and you would listen to an automated recording of the different showings, or you could go to the newspaper and you would go to the bottom right section of one particular area and it would have the showtime listings. And from there you could pick out what movie you wanted to watch. And so like a standard Saturday evening, my friend John Ashby and myself were doing this. And we went to the newspaper, we found the movie that we wanted to watch, and we told our parents, hey, if you'll drop us off at the movies at 7 o'clock, give us some money, we'll go watch a movie on a Saturday night. And we did that. Kind of very common thing for us to do. And so we go to the movie theater, our parents drop us off. And I need to emphasize, this is where it's going to get scary for some of you, this is the time before cell phones. Uh, they didn't exist. Uh, we did not have a page or anything like that. And so anytime my parents dropped me off for them at somewhere, it might have been the last time I'd ever see those people again. I mean, it's just kind of how it worked. In the days before cell phone, it was like, sayonara, we'll see you later. They drop us off at the movie theater. John and I go up to the ticket booth. We give the, the cashier our money, and she says, that movie's not showing tonight. Now, this is the first time in my life that I, I remember feeling completely disconnected from my parents. Because in this moment, I recognized my parents had gone. They've left the parking lot, left the mall area where the movie theater was. And John and I were alone. Now, a lot of my friends, pagans, would do this, and they would tell their parents the wrong showtime so they could have a night out on the town. That's not what John and I were doing. We were good Christian boys. But we found ourselves at the movie theater. I cannot get this situated. Uh, so we, we found ourselves at the movie theater on a Saturday night, without any way home. And we stood there for a little bit, and we thought, what are we going to do? Like, do we just live here now? Is that what happens with our existence? And eventually, we decided, we've got to start thinking of people who are at home on a Saturday night. And I knew the perfect person, because I knew that my grandmother, Miss Janine Oglesby, would be at home on Saturday night, getting ready for church the next day. And we went to, and this is another scary part for some of you, a payphone. John had a quarter, and we put a payphone in. I called my grandmother, I said, Grandma, John and I, were stuck at the movies. We got the showtime wrong. Can you come pick us up? She said, give me 15 minutes and I'll be there. And that night, my grandmother, in her rollers and nightgown, picked us up in her Sunday Cadillac from the movie theater. Now, I tell that story for two reasons. One, to give my grandmother a shout-out. She's one of the greatest people that I think ever lived. And I didn't expect my Savior that night to show up with rollers in and her Cadillac. But it was a Cadillac had the good lights, is what she would say. Because, but I'm telling that story really because it was the first time that I remember feeling truly disconnected from my parents. And I'm sure there were other moments, but in that, that moment, being at the movie theater, watching my parents drive off, recognizing I had no way to contact them, recognizing that there was, I couldn't chase after the car, I couldn't call them on their cell phone and immediately tell them, hey, we got the movie time wrong, can you come pick us up? And in that moment, there was fear, there was anxiety about what we should do next. But now, the idea of being disconnected or unplugging is beautiful. 
As a kid, it was scary. But as, a, as an adult, it's something that I, I yearn for and look forward to. See, we live in an extremely connected society. And hear me out, I don't necessarily believe that this is a bad thing. I mean, have you ever found that funny meme or picture and immediately thought of the person who would love this, this funny, silly joke? Connection allows us to immediately send those memes and gifts, like what Ron Renard is probably doing right now to my phone. Uh, I'm messing with you. But grandparents, for example, when have you received a FaceTime from your, your loved ones, your grandkids? It probably changed your days. Our children, who are seven and four, they know how to FaceTime. Judah knows how to text. Isla thinks she does, but you're just going to get a jumble of letters and, and normally a smiley face. But one of Isla's favorite things to do is to FaceTime and just see who's going to answer. And I believe it was Tommy Coy who on Christmas morning got a FaceTime call from Isla when she was just so excited that Santa Claus had come to town. Just get your phones ready because it's coming. And although this connection can be beautiful, it can also be exhausting. For a moment... I'm going to play an audio clip, and I just want to play it for about 10 or so seconds, and we're going to ask you by show of hands how you feel about it. All right, Miles, just play it. Okay, we're good. So it's all, that's stressing me out now, Miles. Uh, saw a few of you reaching for your phones thinking, oh no, my phone went off. But how many, just by show of hands, like that was, there was anxiety when the beeping started coming in. Okay. How many of you were like excited about that? Like something's happened. Okay. Michelle Wilson is like, hey, let's, what's going on? There's a party. Um, my point in that is this, that it's a good thing to be connected, but it can also be overwhelming. See, if all of our phones did, if all of our phones and connected devices did was provide us with humor or funny videos, we probably wouldn't have the apprehensions that we have when it comes to them. So prior to the invention of the iPhone, Steve Jobs said this. Steve Jobs said this. People don't know what they want until you show it to them. I thought a lot about that quote as I thought about a sermon on disconnecting. Because we have to be careful what we consume and more specifically what we invite into our lives. I found a study this past week, I think it's from is it ZD Tech, yeah, that says the average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phones. Now I can do the math very quickly in my head. I definitely do it, didn't do it ahead of time. But that's over 80, 80 days a year. If we're to add all that time up, I just want you to think about that and feel the weight of the amount of times that we spend on our phones. 5.4 hours a day. Now, I am not, one of the things that I like to say a lot when I'm preaching is, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Because I am one of the worst offenders of this. And when I saw this quote, it made me think about my kids. Like, what am I missing in their lives because I'm consumed with my phone? Where I found myself on TikTok or Instagram, I'm doing all these things and I'm missing things because I am one of these average Americans that spends this amount of time connected to their phone. Now in regards to what we consume and how it affects us, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes our phones can create a cloudy view of life. So, For example, I am a minister at what I believe is the best church in central Arkansas. I legitimately love being here. I love each and every one of you. I think that you are salt-of-the-earth people, and I think you're fun. And I think that's a huge thing for me. I, I, I love laughing. I love enjoying life with all of you. But if I were to comb the internet, comparing myself and my ministry ideas to other pastors and congregations, the joy that I get from being here, from being a part of this congregation, could be stolen. A phrase that my dear friend Christy Oldham and I used to say a lot in the office was, comparison is the thief of joy. There were times where we would look at our ministries and we would compare them to churches down the street or in our larger central Arkansas region and be like, why could we not do that? Or why are we not doing this and that? Instead of recognizing that we are here in this moment with an amazing group of people, that we should not allow comparison to steal that joy that we have. And I'm up, uh, reminded of my roots and my upbringing in the commonwealth and a phrase that, that we love to say is, you is who you is. But when we live on our phones, we allow comparison to inundate our lives. And those things that we are excited about and filled with joy become weakened and watered down when we compare ourselves to what other people are doing and the lives that they are living. And I know it's hard because a lot of our time and our energy exists online and through social media. But we have to approach that with the, the right mind frame. It was Brad Wilcox who recorded this in an article that he wrote. Somebody wrote, said, social media used to be an escape from real life. Now real life feels like an escape from social media. I've loved that quote as I wrote this sermon because I think a lot of us feel that way. But look at what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. In this, Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And this quote from Paul reminded me of a passage from Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains, where Carr writes this, A rapid fire toggling between spectacles, an episode of a Hulu show that here, a Spotify album there, and scanning a friend's blog post works against wisdom in the moment by eliminating any time for reflection or synthesis before the next thing beckons. Let's go to the next one. But it also works against wisdom in the long term. As brain research is showing, our overstimulated brains are becoming weaker, less critical, and more gullible at a time in history when we need them to be sharper than ever. And so I've given you a lot of the concerns and the cautions regarding the influence that our connection has in our lives. But what do we do? As I've said a few times over the next few weeks, what we are looking at are the, at how to live like Jesus. We must look at the teachings and ministry of Jesus to learn how to live our lives. See, time and time again, Jesus removes himself in order to connect with God. When the noise of life got too loud, what does Jesus do? Does he turn it up? Does he log into Twitter to throw a keyboard grenade? No. Jesus unplugs. And we're going to look at just a few quick passages. The first one is in Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. In Mark chapter 6, 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Two examples where Jesus removes himself in order to reconnect with God. In Luke 4.42, nope, in John 6.15, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him by king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Over and over again, Jesus removes himself in order to reconnect with God. In Luke 6.12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And even on the night that he was betrayed, Luke 22.41 states that on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. In each of these examples, Jesus retreated in order to re-enter. In each of these references, Jesus removes himself and implugs and goes to a solitary place in order to recharge so that he can re-enter and return to the bustle of daily tasks and the needs of others. The examples of Jesus are brilliant in regards to how to literally remove ourselves from the chaos and noise of life. And we see in the example of Christ what it looks like to disconnect in order to reconnect with our Creator. But I want to close on a passage that our students and children's church are learning this morning as well. And although they are learning from a, a puppet, I can't guarantee I'm going to be that theatrical. But I want to tie in to what they're learning because I think it's, it's a beautiful passage that connects us with what it means to disconnect in order to focus on Jesus. See, in his gospel, Matthew records a story of Jesus walking on the water. And the story begins with Jesus literally asking the disciples to go ahead so that he can have time alone. Let's pull that up. Is that Matthew 14? Yes. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. And so shortly before dawn, what Jesus does is on the next slide, he went out to them, walking on the lake. I've studied scripture my, my whole life, my entire academic career, and this passage of Jesus walking on the water, how nonchalantly it's written, always blows my mind. But instead of waiting for the boat to come to him, Jesus walks out on the water. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking, go back real quick. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Tried to add a little bit of the excitement there. Um, I doubt that they said it. Hey, that's a ghost. Um, they probably said it with an exclamation point. Likely the first time in their lives that they'd ever seen anyone walking on water. And the response, the identification of it being a ghost means that they were terrified. They had no idea what this could be. Let's go to the next slide. And so Peter, I love Peter because Peter is willing to take these risks. He's willing to trust in God. Over and over again, Peter is the individual who wants to respond first. He's that kid in class that the second the teacher says, do I have a volunteer, hand goes up. Some of you like that kid. Some of you didn't like that kid. It's your choice. But Peter is that kid. He's got an answer. He's ready to go first. And so Peter, upon seeing this and having this brief exchange with Jesus, basically says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Jesus, if it's you, make me believe that it's you. 
And he does. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And one of the things that we often do in this passage is we go immediately to Jesus rescuing Peter. And there's probably eight different sermons that you could preach in this small text of walking on the water. Peter got out of the boat. That's courageous. Uh, the other disciples didn't. They're afraid. I'm just I'm giving you some things that maybe are coming our way one day. But there's a lot of different sermons in this. But something that I think that I, I've missed a lot is that Peter loses focus on Jesus. See, Peter has the right answer. Peter trusts Jesus. He knows that Jesus is who he needs to be focused on. But when the wind starts coming, I think Peter took his eyes off of Jesus for just a moment. And it's in that moment that he begins to sink. He's distracted. He's lost focus on Christ. Peter has allowed the noise of the world around him to consume and control his thoughts. And because of this, he begins to sink. Friends, if we too allow the noise of this world to consume and shape us, we too will sink. We will never live up to the expectations and standards of this world. Hopefully you know they constantly change. The goalpost is always moving on what's good, what's right, what's in style right now. You will never catch up to the world. But that's where Jesus comes in. Because when the world says that you are not enough, that you are not good enough, that you cannot live to the standards of this world, Jesus is saying you are enough. God has created you to do amazing things. You do not have to live by the standards of this world. But like Peter, you've got to focus on Christ as you step out onto the water. And so that if we can learn to unplug and remove the distractions of this world, even when we begin to sink, Jesus will, as the next passage says, sorry, not that one, <laughs> go back. I messed that up. So even in the next passage, Jesus extends his hand and welcomes him back into the boat. Even if we can learn to unplug and remove the distractions of this world, even when we begin to sink, Jesus will extend his hand and help us back into the boat. And so last week, I encourage you guys to rest. Heard a lot of good things about naps that took place right after church. Hopefully you took some time this week, last week, to just slow down a little bit and rest. This week, my challenge is this. Be serious about unplugging for just a little bit. If that statistic that we looked at at the beginning of the sermon is true, the average American spends over five hours a day on their phone. I'm just going to go out and say it, that's too much. There are too many things that we could be focusing on. Better health, focusing on our family, on our friends, connecting with people face to face. And so my challenge is that. This week, I'm going to do it as well. Be intentional. Unplug for a little bit. And when you unplug, take time alone with God. Maybe that means just walking and enjoying nature and God's creation. Maybe that's getting up early, unplugging, turning your phone on, do not disturb, and just reading your Bible for a little bit. Whatever that looks like for you, find that time this week and quit evaluating ourselves on the standards of this world. The thing that we need to be focused on as Christians is on Jesus. Because when we focus on, on Christ... When we try to walk out on the water, we will feel the wind. 
We will recognize that maybe we are scared and intimidated by the different things that are going on in our world. But when we have our eyes set on Christ, that is when we can walk and do amazing things. Let's stand and sing together.